We're going to turn now to God's Word and look at Genesis chapter 3, the first 13 verses. So that's just going to be found on page 2 of your pew Bible. Page 2. So earlier we, we looked at the uh, Heidelberg Catechism and these questions about where, you know, where sin comes from and uh, how things ended up in this the world that we have that is you know that is beautiful but it's also broken and we we live with the consequences of sin every day so we're going to look at that a little bit more and study this this story of Adam and Eve you know becoming prideful taking things into their own hands and how that's how that has affected everything and there's good news, but there's also a lot of bad news. And this is the section of the catechism about misery, and we get, you know, about sin. And in future weeks, we hear a lot more about, about salvation and what Jesus has done for us. So let's look at Genesis 3, the fall of humanity. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat from, the tree, from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deserved me, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In response to God's question about where are you, Adam said, I, I was afraid because I was naked. Um, tonight we're going to you know, talk about this idea of you know, the sin, sin, where all this trouble came from, where all the hurt 
and a hardship in our world where it comes from. This kind of, um, there's a family curse that we all have to live with. Yes, there's blessings that go from generation to generation, but we also um, live with the consequences of the Bible calls our first parents. We live with the consequences of Adam and Eve, and they come down to us. And as we sang about, you know, in Psalm 51, we're fallen too, we're broken. And even, even from our wombs, we've experienced this, this sin and this brokenness. And not only, not only that, so we're, we're born into this world, and we're broken, and we're rebellious, and we don't like being told what to do, and we always want to make our own path. But, you know, we have, we have a role in it. We have a role in it. And sin is like this gigantic rabbit hole that we all kind of fall down and it just gets bigger and bigger. And it's not, what Adam and Eve did is not stubbing their toe, (laughs) you know. It's this huge mistake that affects everything and that we can see. If we're reflective, we can see it in our own life. We don't like God telling us what to do. We don't like God telling us, you can't have that. That's not good for you. That should be refrained from. We like to have that control, and we like to be able to do you know, what we want to do. But in the midst of big, this big sin and this brokenness that we all deal with, there is a bigger Savior and that, that is what we, we have to wrestle with both. If you, if you make a little bit of sin and just say, oh, it's no big deal, and humans are just good, we just make a bad choice once in a while, or that sort of thing, you limit the scope of salvation, and you limit who Jesus is and what he's done. So the way that I look at this, and the way that I think we find good news in this, is we don't do sort of a, little sin, little savior. We, we, we take an honest look at who we are. We take an honest look at the world and we see, gosh, everything's marred. And yet, so it's big, big sin, but we have a big savior whose, whose death and resurrection is enough to bring renewal and to bring hope to the world. So let's dig into this, this text a little bit. Um, sin, sin is a lot of things, uh, you know, kind of like love. We talked about this morning, love is a lot of things, and it's, it's a big word. Sin is a big word and a big concept to try to understand also. It, in, in this passage, it's revealed as a sort of, you know, being exposed, being exposed. Um, the eyes of both of them were opened, And they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then further along in verses 10 and 11, Adam answers God, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So they they have this fear now of God where... God was their friend before. They had this amazing relationship with God. And they, they walked in the garden with him. And they just enjoyed creation. They had everything that they ever needed. They had each other. They had food. They could, 
They could talk with God. <laughs> you know, he walks with me and he talks with me. All of that. And then, I mean, maybe, maybe most striking, at the end of chapter 2, it says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Shame wasn't even in the picture yet. They had this wonderful relationship with each other. They had an incredible relationship with, with God. But their choice to eat what God told them not to do, and of course, that happened, but, the, but what, what set it off was the choice that they made. You know, to, to take that. God said, that's not for you. And that made them want it even more. And we have all done something like that. You know, I'm kind of on this Augustine kick lately. I've been talking about him the last couple of weeks, and there's a wonderful new book out about him. But he writes in the Confessions when he was a boy. He was 11, 12, 13 years old, and he was running around with four or five other boys. And they stole a bunch of pears off somebody else's tree. They just... They just I mean, 12, 13-year-old boys, they just do those sorts of things, right? They weren't hungry. They didn't even like pears. They just stole the pears because they knew that that's not something you should do. That those are somebody else's pears, somebody else's trees, and they're for them. They just wanted the forbidden fruit. They just wanted to, to commit a crime. They just wanted to do something evil. You know what they did with the pears afterwards? They just threw them. They just threw them on the ground. They really just wanted the forbidden fruit. So Adam and Eve did it. Augustine did it. We, we kind of do those things too. We just want to know what it's like. We just want to, to do something that we know is wrong. And we, we also are exposed you know, like, like Adam and Eve. We're exposed in this spiritual way. And it doesn't, it doesn't go away. You know, that feeling that we have. That feeling that this isn't the way that it should be. And so we, we are driven to get rid of that, that angst that we have. You know, that's inside of us. That's just... You know, that unsettled feeling or just that difficulty in getting along or the bad things that just kind of keep happening. I mean, why? Why do people get sick? Why, why do people die too young? Why, do, why does there never seem to be you know, enough for everyone? There's all these things. And we try to distract ourselves. So a lot of times we, we try to make something of ourselves and we try to sort of prove ourselves and we think that that will make everything better. And that'll help us ignore, you know, the things that we feel inside. This, uh, this pastor friend of mine, he, uh, he was a bivocational pastor and he, so he had started this business on the side um, with, a, with a partner and he was traveling for ministry, and he came back, and his business partner told him that they lost the business, that everything that they had you know, poured into this for five years, everything that they had worked toward 
was, was gone. They, they, they lost it. And he goes down to, he, he you know, needs to tell his wife about this bad news. So they sit down at the dinner table that night. And he's just pouring his heart out to her. It's just all the work that we put in, it's, it's gone. We're, we'll never make another dollar. How are we going to provide for ourselves? I've lost everything. I lost everything. It's gone. I lost everything. And his wife, she, she has the guts to say, well, wait, I thought I was your everything. You're always telling me that I'm your everything. And he, he said, well, you know, you know, sweetie, my, my other, my other everything, my other everything. And he, he had done this because he wanted to, you know, he wanted to be a good person. He wanted to be a good provider. He didn't grow up with very much. His wife didn't grow up with very much. And he just wanted to prove himself. He just wanted to be able to say, I've made something of myself. I've done something. He didn't want to be exposed anymore. He grew up feeling exposed, feeling like everything's not okay because I don't have what this person has and what that person has. And, you know, 30 years later, in his 40s, you know, even after being a pastor for decades, still sort of struggling with this, not wanting to be exposed, not wanting to be like, like Adam and Eve. He wanted, to, he, did, he wanted to clothe himself, you know, like Adam and Eve did. They, they sewed these fig leaves together, and he, he, they clothed themselves. That's, that's what he wanted to do. When, when God came and spoke to Adam and Eve, they, they, their response was four things. First, they, they felt ashamed. You know, they felt, they felt ashamed of what they had done. They, they felt small and they felt inadequate, even though... The Bible up till now, if you go back and read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you'll see that they, humanity, us, are the greatest thing that God made. You know, it says he made the galaxies, he made the universe, he made the, the, the sea, he made the dry land, he made the, you know, the, the night and the day and all the animals. He made all the animals. I mean, think about that. The wonder of all the animals all over the world. And he said, yeah, that's good. It's good. I, then I'm going to make Adam and Eve. They're very good. They're very good. Psalm 8 says that human beings are the crown of creation, just a little lower than the angels. So why would they ever feel small? Why would they ever feel powerless? Why would they ever feel, you know, not just guilty? Because guilt is regretting something that you've done, but shame is feeling bad about who you are, about who you are at your core. And they felt that. And then they felt fear. All of a sudden, this God that they had a great relationship with, that they walked with in the garden, they were afraid. They didn't even want him to find them. They also felt blame. You know, God asks them, which if God asks you a question, it's for your benefit, right? Obviously, God knows what's, what's happened and what's going on. God asked the woman, you know, what, what happened? 
And she uses that opportunity not to accept responsibility, but to blame. I blame the serpent. The serpent deceived me. He tricked me. And then God goes to Adam, and he takes responsibility. No, he doesn't. He blames his wife. It's a good thing that no husband has ever blamed their wife since then. You know? No, it's this pattern. It's a pattern that goes on. That's part of, that's part of human history. That's part of um, our story. Harry Reader, he's a commentator on Genesis. He said this, We are experts at playing the victim. Adam was so intent on shifting the blame from himself that he managed to both accuse God and his wife in one sentence. That's kind of impressive. How do you blame God and your wife in one sentence? One of the primary ways we cover up is thinking of ourselves as the victim of someone else's mistakes. We want to be the victim so we don't take responsibility for for our actions and for our choices. We all feel that kind of uh, exposure that uh, another, another pastor and writer that I really like, uh, William Willimon, he said that the Garden of Eden is located at 215 Elm Street. That was his address. You know, the thing that happened in, in Adam happens at, it's kind of a mouthful, but 16035 Southeast Main Street. My address. My place. Um, the... These, these concepts of good and evil and sin, they're in all of our hearts. And they're with, they're with all of us. So, we, we're afraid. We're afraid because we're kind of exposed. And we feel the same way that Adam and Eve felt. And that leads us to actually not only try to hide from God, which is a crazy idea when you think about it, that we could sort of hide from God, the God who sees everything and knows everything, but we also try to hide from each other. And we always try to put our best foot forward, and we don't want to share what's, what's really going on because we, we want to, to convince ourselves that everything is perfect, even though it won't be perfect until heaven. I know I've been talking a lot about commercials lately, but it's really fascinating. And I think it's because I've been going to the gym and, and I watch TV and sometimes I, I don't even hear anything, but I just, I'm watching the television and seeing these interesting commercials. There's another one, you know, that's going right now that's those Geico commercials with Pinocchio. You know those? You know those? And if you, know, if you don't have cable, then you're going to just learn something. But there's this, this woman is on a blind date. You know, she's, she has, she's looking for a guy on you know, one of those apps or whatever. And in walks in Pete Nokio. Pinocchio. And needless to say, he's a pretty dorky looking guy. He's got a wooden face and a wooden head. But in the picture, he looks like a model. I mean, he's just like a really good looking guy. And so, and you know, he's trying to be all schmoozy and everything. He's like, oh, you, you, you look like a Samantha. You ever, you ever get that? You know, I don't... And she's saying, well, you don't really look like your picture. And he's, he's trying to, you know, smooth it over. And, and his nose just keeps, keeps growing, keeps growing and keeps growing. 
And then he knocks over the, the water tray because his nose is so big. But, he, but he's trying to show off his, his best side, right? I don't know how they're trying to sell insurance from that. But somehow they are. It's just, it's just a quirky little funny commercial. But it says something about our time because it's people that are looking nothing like what they look like, you know, in real life, trying to hide from each other. And then they're trying to hide from God. Um, God, is, God is seeking after them. God is wanting to continue, you know, to build up his relationship with them. So that's why he's asking them a question as a friend. It's for their benefit. Like I said, God's not asking us questions because he doesn't know the answer. But they try to hide from him. And they blame each other, and there's pain, and there's kind of this, this quest, this looking for answers, this looking for solutions. Where is, where's Jesus in this narrative? Where, where do we find Jesus in this story, in this, the earliest bits of, of the Bible? Um, a lot of writers have pointed out that, you know, it was, uh, it was Adam and Eve that, that fell into sin and that a, da- a son of Adam and Eve would get them out. You know, and that... Uh, the lineage would bring us a, a savior that turns everything around. And even thinking about some of the words from the story, even thinking about, you know, the, the fruit and the apple. I mean, it was a lot of the same language that Jesus used in his time to, to say, stay in the vine, produce fruit. That, that this evil thing, this thing that God told them not to have, even that is, is redeemed and, and made new. Jesus is the, the one who covers up all those, all those fears that we have, the tendency that we have to blame the people around us, uh, the, the tendency that we have to, to pretend or to act like everything's perfect when it's not. Jesus comes and he says, put on my, my righteousness. You don't have to act like everything's okay anymore because through me, you've been given righteousness. You've been given Grace. You've been given a new identity in me where you don't have to look for these other things anymore. Um, Seeing the way... You know, Jesus talks so much about little children and the faith that they had. You know, he told us that nobody can enter the kingdom unless they become like little children. And little children are so... They're so trusting. And they really are so full of um, vitality and life, but also of love. And, I mean, most of you know our son Silas. He has so much energy and enthusiasm and um, just, 
He wants nothing more than to sit in the basement, not sit in the basement, be in the basement, and kick a soccer ball against the wall for like two hours, you know, just thud, thud, thud. Just so much, so much energy, so much enthusiasm, and it's kind of it's crazy. But in the midst of all that craziness, there's such a sweetness and such a trust and such a love where, you know, not a lot of other people come up to me and just, you know, just give me a big bear hug and just tell me that they love me out of the, out of the clear blue sky. And yet, he has that. And it gives you a picture of how God, you know, sees us <laughs> as his children. Just, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty helpless, we're always chasing after these other things and, and trying to cover up ourselves and distract ourselves from the difficulties of life, but God just covers us up. He covers us up. He takes away everything, everything that Adam and Eve wrestled with, the shame, the fear, the guilt, the blame. He takes all of that upon himself and he gives us grace and love and hope and joy. So we read that, the question and answer from Heidelberg at the beginning of the service, and it's very, you know, it's very stark, it's very direct, and it says that unless we are born again by the Spirit of God, we're going to be inclined toward evil, and we're going to look for these other things to cover us up. And that, you know, being born again by the Spirit of God, is to be made new, to become, you know, like a child. Again, like, think, of, think about the phrase, born again. Don't just associate it with the way that you've thought about it. But being born again by the Spirit. You become like a child and you trust in your dad. You trust in, Jesus called him our Abba, our Father. You trust completely in what, in what he did on the cross. Not in your good behavior or not in your ability to pull everything together, but you trust completely in him. And we could sit here and tell stories all night. And we've kind of, we've kind of, done that in, in some ways, you know, in recent months, of the way that the Holy Spirit can change a life, you know, can just completely turn it around, where somebody can be looking for these other things, can be trying to cover themselves up for 20, 30, 40, 50, 70, 80 years. I heard a report from a missionary this week, I, I think maybe a Resonate thing, or I'm on a bunch of email lists of people that are serving God all over the world. And there was a a woman who was 102 who put her faith in Christ this week. So we can never say that it's too late for anyone. God's spirit is surprising and powerful and can't can't be contained. But I I have a a friend, a, a guy that I knew growing up, that he experienced a lot of difficulty in his life, and he was, uh, he kind of grew up in the church, but just drifted away, and 
was in a couple of, of, of marriages that ultimately failed and women that, that didn't really have any um, exposure to, to God. And um, in his mid-50s, I mean, he was about to retire from his job. He had this spiritual awakening kind of in the midst, in the midst of his divorce. He really hit bottom and everything changed for him. And he, he realized that he was looking to all these other things instead of looking to his creator you know, for meaning and for purpose. And he realized what he wanted to be about. And that was Jesus and the kingdom. He wanted to, be a, you know, he wanted to rest in him and in his righteousness. And he wanted to help other people find, find that as well. It's never too late for anyone, and God has a timeline for every single person to find this hope and this meaning and this purpose that he has for us. Um, God deals with, in, in Christ, God deals with our fears and our exposure and our shame, and he, he roots us in him. And we are going to be learning a lot more about this, this Savior as we you know, kind of go through the, the catechism, this, this 500-year-old document. And we'll learn more about the Savior and exactly what he has done for us. But it's, it's my prayer and my hope that all of us have experienced this, this transform, transformation that my friend experienced, where he went from you know, being, being afraid, being filled with shame, to knowing Jesus being safe in him, not being exposed, but finding meaning in in Jesus and all that he's done. That is the hope of the gospel. That is what God can do for anyone. Let's pray. God, help us to all remember what you have done for us and the tremendous love that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. As we go through this life, through these stages of life, may we not look to anything else, God, for salvation, for meaning, for purpose. May we not look to these these idols of our time, but may we look to you alone and all that you have done for us, pouring out your love upon us in Jesus God, we, we pray that gratitude would well up in our hearts and that we could find our life, find our purpose in that, in what you have done for us. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.